Pray with me again. God, I thank you for your son. Uh, Thank you for your church. And God, we ask that you would lead us forward and that we would not get in the way of what you would want to do. God, I pray that I would not get in the way of what you would want to do. And God, I pray right now that as I open your word that you would use this time to help your people. Uh, Holy Spirit, we know you're in the room. God, you're here. Uh, we, We ask, God, that you would use this time. Holy Spirit, pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I change the tone? Shara Johnson grew up in our church and she multiplied for the kingdom of God. Shara Johnson spent years serving Jesus in these walls and left these walls to go to Africa. Sierra Leone became in Sierra Leone with 25 Project, a ministry that many of you are part of in our church. With 25 Project became the senior director of operations to care for many orphans and needy children in Africa. And while she was there, Auntie Shara, while she was there, she impacted countless lives for Christ. She multiplied for the kingdom of God. She discipled many local leaders and eventually got married to one. Y'all see? Beside her in the picture is her husband Abraham, her son Junior. Shara, this last week, lost a courageous but fast battle with cancer and died at the age of 41. Many in our church have been grieving. Her funeral will be next Saturday here in our church. She has been one of our ministry partners since I came to our church. Many of you in the room uh, don't know Shara. But I want you to know that her story is not a tragedy. Y'all know that? We can go on from the picture of Shara and maybe just go back to the Mark logo. Uh, We're walking through the book of Mark. Today we're going to be in chapter 13 of Mark. And I don't know what's happening in your life. Maybe there's not something specific to you, but maybe just watching the news right now, you see the world is broken. Uh, You you feel the battles deepen. And as you watch it happen and maybe you feel it personally, you're asking, where's God right now? You know, stories like Shara, if, if, if we don't really open this book, might lead us to despair. But when we open this book and we see what is promised in this book, should, should the broken world around us 
drive Christians to despair? The pain in your life right now, maybe it's hard to even see past it, but maybe you're battling despair in your own heart and in your life. I want you to see today what Jesus says in Mark chapter 13. We've been walking through the book of Mark. We're in Tuesday now in the last week of Jesus' life before he'll die. The first half of Tuesday he spends in the temple. The religious leaders question his authority. And leaving the temple... The disciples point to the temple, the beginning of chapter 13, and they're like, look how beautiful these stones are in this beautiful building. Which, by the way, you know, multiply. The goal is not to try to build a beautiful building. That's not what we're trying to do. And Jesus says to them, when he, he says, this temple, every, everything in it, the, all the stones are going to be flipped over, he says. And then they go up to the Mount of Olives, and we showed you this picture just a few weeks ago as we were teaching his entrance into Jerusalem, and he's sitting now on the Mount of Olives, and what do you think they're, they're looking at? The temple is there in front of them, and the disciples turn to Jesus, and they ask him, verse 4, when are these things going to happen? And what are the signs for these things happening? Now, before I jump in and start teaching you what Jesus says here that I think can be a help in the midst of a time of brokenness that might be leading you to despair, I need you to hear that there are many people who love Jesus very much who interpret this passage differently. First, I want to just point out what I've already just said, that Jesus talks about the temple leading into this dialogue, and they're looking over the temple probably during this dialogue. So there are some people that think all that Jesus is doing in this passage is prophesying what will happen when the temple falls. Some people think that. Interesting, from history we know that most of what Jesus prophesied in this passage, we have record of actually taking place before the fall of the temple. Including, this is something I learned this week, that the ancient historian Josephus, y'all probably heard him preached like a talk, but he was a Jewish historian, first century. Uh, so the, 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 if you read verse 24 through 27, there's stuff that's gonna happen in the sky in Jesus' prophecy. And Josephus said that before the fall of Jerusalem, I quote, there was a star resembling a sword which stood over the city and a comet that continued a whole year. Later, he wrote, before the fall of Jerusalem, he said it would seem like a fable, what he's about to tell us, were it not related by those who saw it, and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature, the fall of the temple, as to deserve such signals. For, this is what he said happened in the sky, before sun setting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds. He said, there were, he said you would think it was a fable. 
So you can see why some people would think this whole passage is just about the fall of the temple. R.C. Sproul, a famous writer who says that's the direction he leans. Others argue because if you look at Matthew's account, Matthew, when they're up on the mountain, the disciples specifically say, tell us about your coming and the signs of the end of the times. So in Matthew, it looks like what the disciples are asking are about the return of Christ when he would come again and when will the times end, y'all see? And they're going to tell us that this dialogue happened at the same time. So where does that leave us? Well, here's, here's where I stand and here's where I'm going to preach it, but actually it doesn't matter where you fall, the principles still apply from this passage regardless of where you fall. I believe that like most prophecy in the Bible, there is double fulfillment, okay? Most of the prophecy where even the New Testament writers point back to that was talking about Jesus coming the first time also had another fulfillment in the life of Israel before Jesus came the first time. And so I believe, like most of the biblical prophecy, that this passage applied to the fall of the temple and it applies to when Jesus will return and when you and I, and I believe it's going to be soon, when you and I will get to see the Son of God coming in all of his glory. Okay? So, this is called double fulfillment. If, wherever you fall in this, though, I want you to know that I think the principles apply to all of us. So the disciples ask these two questions again. When will it happen and what will the signs be? Jesus actually answers their question in reverse order. He gives them signs and then he tells them when. But his emphasis is actually on a question they did not ask in his response. And we'll get to that in just a second. But what I want to do is I'm going to skip to the end because he summarizes it. I'm going to let the summary draw you back and point you back to all he says in the passage. And then get us to the point he wants his disciples to get. All right, you're with me so much. So far, so much. It's amazing that I communicate out loud. So stand with me in order to honor the word of God. I'm going to start reading in verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also you see these things taking place you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. 
For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right, if you're able to go to your knees, I want to invite you there. If not, you can just sit down if that's more comfortable for you. Father, for those in despair in in our world and in this room, God, help us to see what you've promised through your Son. And God, I pray that we would respond. We would respond today. And help, God, as we respond through your Holy Spirit to rise above the despair. Pray for me that God would help me, that words would be accurate and true, and that they would wake up us God, wake us up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're taking notes, here we go. We're going to let the disciples' questions be answered in reverse. What are the signs? What are the signs? Well, notice what Jesus says in verse 28. It says, from the fig tree, Jesus is a great illustrator, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. What's happening? Similar time in the life of Israel than now. It's spring. And he looks around and he says, hey, look, the fig trees right now are starting to have their leaves come out. And you can look at those leaves. Those leaves are a sign, hey, it's spring and summer is coming. The the fig tree is the illustration for him right now of what he is going to argue for. Verse, next one, 29. So also, when you see these things taking place, you will know, like the leaves of the fig tree, that not just the summer is near, but that he is near at the very gates. Now, again, if you, if you just think that this passage is just around uh, about the temple destruction, I want you to see the signs that he teaches and for you to know that almost all of these signs are taught about the second coming and other passages. On, if you just say that this is only about the return, I mean, uh, the, the temple. The, look, here we go. This is what Jesus has taught them the signs would be. Okay, so I'm going to put these on the, sc- the screen. What are the signs? I'm going to start right now and just read you through what he said the signs would be. He said there would be people claiming to be the Messiah. There would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be earthquakes. There would be famines. Famines, often that word would appear with pestilence, your translation might say, which would be disease leading to death like cancer persecution of Christians. The gospel would be preached to all nations. Some would say, how did that apply to the temple? Y'all know when Paul went to establish all the churches, he said, the work is done. I brought, that's how that people get there. Family conflict. Fathers against children, children's against parents. Y'all have never seen that before, right? So I can move on. Abomination In the temple, something's going to happen in the temple. Daniel prophesies, by the way, we're going to, after we finish Mark, jump into the book of Daniel. I cannot wait. We're going to see what does it look like for someone to live with character in a culture that is going the other way. We're going to also see Daniel prophesy Jesus coming back. The abomination of desolation is talked about linked there. We'll get get to that 
but something's going to mess up worship in the temple. Tribulation like has never been seen in the world, the great tribulation, false teachers, and signs in the sky. That's what he says is going to happen. Okay, so if, if most of this has already happened before, what, what does this mean for us now? Well, verse 9, I think, helps me. He said it's going to be like birth pains. What does that mean? Well, when we go through that kind of stuff, it's going to hurt. And church, the, the world is going to hurt, and it's going to hurt more and more and more. And birth pains, and I think the birth pains is referring to like contractions, right? How many of you in the room have birthed a child? No, <laughs> was it fun? On the front end, no, it was not. Okay, but the birth pains, the, the, the contractions, they increase. They, they start to get closer together and they get more and more severe, right? Ever, ever since the creation of the world, it was good until Adam and Eve sinned and then some of this stuff started to happen. But as Jesus gets closer, those, those contractions are going to happen closer and closer together in more and more severe ways. You all see that happening in the world? Does that lead us to despair? Can I point you back to the birth illustration? When that's happening for mom and dad, if he's getting punched for it, okay, it's, it doesn't feel good, but there's something exciting coming, right? There is hope on the other side. There is, there is a good thing in the future. And so if, if you can look past the pain in the birth contraction to the baby that's coming, there's joy, right? Okay, what are the signs? I know I'm breezing past this really fast, but I want you to keep going with me because I want us to get to what Jesus, I think, pushes us to. I, 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 please don't breeze past the fact that the Bible tells us a lot about what's going to happen before Jesus comes. If, if you're struggling to be excited about him coming, study what the Bible says about him coming. Get excited with us. When will it happen? His disciples ask. Okay? When will it happen? Look with me, verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Do you know I have talked to people who say I cannot believe in Jesus because of this verse. They say Jesus is a false prophet because he said this generation will not pass away until he came back is what they say. I would have I I played with this for just a second because I want you to see how, how, how shallow and immature I am as a pastor because I got excited about something in this point this week. This can be read, this generation, the Jews. This can be read, this generation, the Christians are not going to, this can be read, the evil generation. It can be read that way. This is where a lot of writers go and say, hey, the evil generation is not going to pass until Jesus comes back. But the most natural reading of this is not that. It is actually a generation of people, like, which would be 40 years. And as I was reading that related to this verse, you know what? I got excited because I thought, okay, this we think was happening like around 80, 30. And the temple gets destroyed like 40 years later, almost to the dot. And so then I start thinking, wow, look, like day and hour. 
40 years. So if that happened in the, the first double fulfillment of the prophecy, I bet it's gonna happen in the second double fulfillment of the prophecy. So if I can just figure out when the first birth pain started happening for the second, I, I, can, I can figure out, that's where, literally where my mind started going with this. But you know what he's gonna say next, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, which is incredibly hopeful, will not pass away. I'll come back to that. Keep going with me, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, what does he say? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay. I've told you I think one of the faults happens uh, for us as we read biblical prophecy when we just say, hey, that's too much for me. I'm going to push away from it. Like, no, Jesus has given us signs. We should study the signs. We should know the signs. We, We should realize what's happening when the birth pains of the world are going on. The flip side of this is some get so into the signs that they start saying, here's the day and time. Y'all know this? And if, if you, if you think you know the day and time, you are better than the angels in Jesus, I guess. But, but it's amazing how, how much this is, and by the way, this is not the only place it says this. Before Jesus, after he re- rose again, he appears to the disciples, he teaches them about what does it look like to go and make disciples around the world. And before he goes back up into heaven, the disciples say, hey, hey, when are you going to inaugurate your kingdom here on earth? And you know what he says to them? It's not for you to know the days and times. But he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, Okay. So I just want to caution you, if who you're listening to for the signs is teaching you a day and time, Jesus said he, we would not know that, okay? And I think I'll, I'll tell you in a little bit why I think he does it this way. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know, as if you didn't get it the first time, when the time will come. All right. I'm going to put a few names on the screen, and this is just a few of them. Uh, I, I won't even go through it, but these are a few of the more famous ones. One of them's in my lifetime, or actually two of them are in my lifetime. Uh, William Miller, uh, date and time, October 22nd, 1844. Many people believed him. Edgar Wisnat, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. That was the title of his book. Many bought it. Both of them, both of them pointing to all kinds of biblical prophecy. Harold Camping, May 21st, 2011, using all kinds of biblical prophecy, showing us dates, he came to this as the date that Jesus would come back. You know what happened at the end of that? When, when, when it didn't happen, there were a lot of people that were major disappointed. Does that mean there weren't Christians? No, I don't think it means there weren't Christians. But it led to disappointment for them instead of hope, despair. When will it happen? He says, we're not gonna know, but he does say, keep going with me, he doesn't stop. Verse, verse 33, be on guard. If you're reading through the passage, uh, this chapter, which y'all, many of you are reading through the book with us, you might notice in verse nine, first time he says, be on your guard, Verse 23, he says again, 
be on your guard and then now he says it for the third time you know when Jesus says it once it's important if he says it three times he's trying to make a point Jesus in this passage is trying to teach his disciples not just what are the signs when will it happen he is trying to teach his disciples how we should live He wants his disciples to live differently in view of his return. He wants his return to be at the forefront of our minds so that with his return at the forefront of our minds, we live our lives different. The coming back of our king changes something in us. Again, other words in the passage that I'll point out to you. The first, what what do I think this means? That we should live differently, this being on your guard. The first words that he gives us around these are actually very hopeful words. That when we're on guard for the return of Christ, we should be very hopeful. Verse five says you're watching out for him. Verse seven, you are not alarmed when bad things are happening. Verse 11, you are not worried. That why? Why are we not worried? Why are we not alarmed? Because we are waiting for the king to come back and when the king comes back, we're, we're, everything bad is gonna be made good. Everything wrong is gonna be made right. Everything dark is gonna be made light. The king is coming back. And so it doesn't matter how bad the sickness is, ultimately in the end, he's gonna wipe away every tear from every eye. When the tribulation gets worse, and I believe it's going to get worse, church. When it gets worse, we can be hopeful, not in the circumstance, but beyond the circumstance. Because he told us tribulation was coming, and it would be great, and he was going to overcome the world. He, he is coming. There's hope. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. Uh, One verse that, again, back up with me, verse 31. Again, hopeful words here. It may look the other way if you you focus on the wrong side. Verse 31, heaven and earth will what? Pass away, but what? My words will what? Not pass away. They will not pass away. Do you know there were guardrails on the Titanic? And when the Titanic was sinking, there were people that grabbed the guardrails and they held on for dear life to what was going under. Christians, you don't have to hold on to the world. There's hope beyond the world. The world's going under. But you don't have to despair when the world goes under. It can bring you hope because the one who promised it would go under was right. And he's going to be right that he's coming back to overcome it. Don't hold on to the guardrails of the world. Last night in our Bible reading for our family, we were doing out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, where the book ends. Y'all know this book ends. Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Then what does he say? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This last week, uh, there's a man in our church who studies 
and I love it, studies the prophecy that's coming. And he had sent an email to his family. I'm not gonna share his name because I I don't have yet permission to share his name, but I, I want you to hear his words. Keep your eyes on the sky. Praise God for the blessed hope. The king is coming. He will appear to collect his bride. Be ready. And then he quotes out of Titus chapter two, as we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, church, uh, y'all notice what color my shirt is? Y'all know what color my socks are? Yeah. Y'all notice I'm wearing a class ring today? I rarely, you, you'll know if I'm wearing my class ring Baylor's competing for something, okay? Baylor is my alma mater and they're both, both of their teams are not as good as they've been in the past, but they're still in the tournament. I'm supporting the team. But that's not where my hope is. That's not, if, I don't know where you're running for hope. If despair is destroying you, it's probably because it's something other than the return of Jesus. Okay, we wait hopefully, but we also wait expectantly. We wait expectantly. Look at what he says. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. You see, it is like he's now telling us a little proverbial illustration. Jesus was a beautiful illustrator. He had done the fig tree earlier It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, notice they have a job to do while he's gone, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake, therefore stay awake. You'll notice a repeated phrase now, he's three times says stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, saying a third time you will not know when it's going to happen in the evening or in midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning lest he come suddenly and find you asleep and what I say to you I say to all what stay awake stay awake the king is coming back if you go back to again the parallel account in Matthew which is what we spent our time through the Christmas series in 2020 if you want to go back there we, we taught through the whole upper room discourse and and what, what what Jesus does is he gives parable after parable of the importance of us staying awake because he's gonna come back what does that mean um, When I drive to work, I'm usually coming north on the access road of 75 before I get to El Dorado. Now, has anyone else noticed that there's a speed trap right there? Yeah, I see a lot of heads going like this, yes. So now, I'm not, I always wanna be a good driver, but when I turn onto the access road of 75, I become a very good driver. You know why? Because I'm expectant. I'm I'm thinking I'm going to see a police car. And so I'm staying awake, more alert than I normally am when I'm driving. Because any second now, there may be a police car in front of me. 
And, and Jesus, Jesus, I think wisely so, he, he doesn't say this because Christians, if you sin when he comes back, then you're not getting into heaven. That's not what I believe. In fact, if you want to go and read more in to this specifically, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it, he wants to reward you for doing right, for doing what again, if you want to go back to those parables in 24 and 25 of Matthew, he wants to, if you invest your, your resources in the king, if you time, your talent and treasure, if you do in his story right here, you do the work that he gave to you when he was gone in verse 34. He wants to take what you are doing when he comes back and to reward you for it. And then you get to take that reward eternally and give it back to him in worship. That's what he wants to do. Now, if you don't know Jesus, he's coming back. And that does matter if you don't know Jesus. If, if he's not, there is a real kingdom and a real king. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. In his love and by his grace, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sin. He rose from the grave and is coming again. Repent, believe, follow him, and be part of his kingdom now and forever. If, if, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, the King is coming. All the prophecies in this Bible have come true to this point. There's more that are coming that will come true, and it will affect you. Do you believe? Are you living your life expectant of His return? Back to Shara real quick as we close, and then we're going to sing. Many are grieving, and it's rightfully so. We're to grieve. The Bible says we're to grieve, but we grieve with hope. And her story is not a story of tragedy. You know why? When, when, when Jesus showed up in her life, you know what she was doing? She was much more than going the speed limit. God was working in and through her to do glorious things for him. His, her story is a story of laying down her life, doing the work that God called her to do for his kingdom, glory, and purposes. He has you where you are today on purpose. He, he, has a, he has a mission for your life today on purpose. Are you today living hopefully and expectantly? I wanna invite you right now to close your eyes. The worship team's gonna come forward and they're gonna sing over us, but before they start their song, I want you to ask God, Lord, what, what, what would my life look like if I was truly living today for the day, hopefully and expectantly? What, what adjustment would he call you to? Would, would for you that mean just a decision to say, I'm gonna follow Jesus and you might need to come and talk with someone on our team? Or, or, or maybe for you it's, it's no, I, I, I believe in Jesus, but I, Jesus, I want my life to be about you when you come back. What would that look like for you, hopefully, expectantly? Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? 
Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.